Don't forget the bait. I got the rods. Welcome, Welcome to, to Everything, everything angling, angling, where we cover everything, everything angling. angling. I'm Justin. And I'm Tosh. Welcome back to Everything Anglin'. I'm you, Justin. How you guys doing? Oh, I hope you guys are doing good. I'm Tosh. And I'm Justin once again. I'm tired, so I'm all messed up. Well, I'm perky and awake, so. But uh, I hope everybody's out catching stuff. We're in this weird in-between season. Uh, it's been a challenge to just go fish in mm-hmm. the cold, windy. It's fall all over again. Mm-hmm. But uh, Michigan, did you see that? Their fishing season's ending early. It's crazy. Yeah, well. Burt Lake, they had a shanty go in. Dang. I've never, the last week of February always has like 30 or 40 inches ice mm-hmm. on Burt Lake. I have a 36-inch auger three years ago, almost didn't make it <laughs> this upcoming weekend. And, they're, and now they don't even got enough to support it. Yeah, they're canceling. Like, they have a big, I, we talked about it last time, yeah. they have that big, they canceled it and everything. Nah. It's, well, it was, it's a weird it's, year. It's not year of the ice fisherman. That's for sure. You know, that's that's the way it is, though. Not every year can be perfect. No. Yep. You just got to take it as it is. I just guess I just don't have to drive that much this year. <laughs> very true. Very true. So what are we talking about today, then? It's all you. You all picked right. the topic. and Well, I kind of thought, you know, my anglers, my group knows me, and your group knows you. Mm-hmm. So first thing we kind of do is maybe introduce ourselves Go right to ahead. each other. So um, my name is Tosh Collins. Um, I pretty much got into this whole social media fishing world in 2017 by just starting a group to record my catches. Um, I've lived my whole life as a fisherman. Um, my dad is, his name, nickname is Fish. So <laughs> he'd wake us up, me and my brothers, and say, hey, you boys want to go to school or you want to go fishing? Me? Always fishing. Always fishing. Always fishing. My other two brothers now, one of them actually went to college. But uh, they're not into it so much. And then from there, just kind of grown with popularity. And um, I host the Indian Lake catfish tournaments that we have. I host the annual tournament. I'm the chairman of the Junior Anglers of Ohio. And we just I just try to do everything fishing. And then the rules and the lessons you learn from fishing, I try to apply that in my life of everything. Like if I want to go get a job, I'll cast out as many applications as I can. Just like if I wanted to go catch a prize fish, I'm going to cast out as many lines as I can. So I like to take the fishing mentality, the fishing quote unquote religion and make it flow into everyday life. So that's, I'm, I'm the very uneducated fisherman. So that's kind of a bit about me. What about you there? Well, I just got to say real quick before I do that. I mean, fishing is the only sport that's tied into the Bible. Yes. So yeah, if fishing is a very special place in for humanity. It was some of our first major food. It, it was was the first recreational yeah. sport. Uh, but no, like I'm Justin. Uh, I've held a fishing license in I believe 29 states. I'm still waiting to get 30. Uh, I just haven't gone that far out west yet. Just waiting to tick off one more. I was a fisheries technician, which is basically a field biologist. For anybody that doesn't know, uh, that's just the easiest way. I did endangered species survey, fish ID. Uh, impaction surveys, chemical spill stuff. I did all that. Uh, with everything going on right now, I've had calls all week with going on other people's shows and talking about what happened here in Ohio. It's all fun. But uh, yeah, uh, my grandpas both got me, both very different, very different men got me into fishing. My dad got me into fishing. Uh, I've hooked sturgeon, caught alligator gar, shark, big flatheads. My biggest, I think, is. I think no, my you mean, biggest you rod mean and reel. Ohio flatheads, not them Florida flatheads, right? The Arkansas, uh, Arkansas. Well, the the freshwater flathead. Fly, freshwater flathead, yeah. Yep. Uh, my biggest one, I think, right now, I think rod and reel, seventy eight pounds. Ooh, that beats me. Almost doubles it. And then, well, that was Arkansas, not Ohio. I know. So yeah, still... that's not fair. I mean, we were throwing back, you know. And then our biggest one, we'd run hoop nets commercially. Yep. And our biggest one out of a hoop net was ninety nine pounds. Just we couldn't make it a hundred. Nice. Just this big, ugly old fish. So you fished it. your whole life too. Yep. But you're Since, educated too in it, right? Yes. So what else? Do you have a degree? Yeah. So it's fisheries biology is basically the degree. Okay. Uh, and I worked for a company called, and I can share this, but it's called Midwest Biodiversity Institute. Uh, they're a special. I don't work there anymore. I hurt myself uh, uh, like 
last summer, so I had to give it up. But basically what we would do is we gave habitat scores for watersheds. We gave fish scores. Uh, and I kind of go through that a little bit. Like fish, there's a one through five value uh-huh. on fish. Uh, like when you are green sunfish and stuff like that, they're a one because they're always going to be there. Yes. But they can actually become a negative number when their population is too high. Because what they are called is inf- are impacted environment specialist. So when the, the environment starts being stressed, their numbers rise. Okay. So when their numbers start rising, they're so. an indicating species, being something's bad. It's like the it's just a fever in the body. Yeah. When you start getting green sunfish everywhere, that's a real bad deal. But yes, I did that. I mean, I literally had to count scales on fish's buttholes that are the size of your pinky. The idea, because one is like one's common, one's federally endangered, so you yeah. have to know what's what. I'm glad that was your job. It's hard, man. <laughs> so you're very educated yeah. in the sense. And then today, you know, I kind of thought we th- there's been the talk within the group and some other groups in Ohio, saw guys. I mean, mm-hmm. saw guys is a big thing. It's a big economic fishing industry in Ohio. And why is that? I mean, it's just okay. So all opinions. Just everybody at home. This is and my this opinion. Is always just our opinions. Opinion. Uh, from my side of it, the DNR tries to put out fish for the average angler to catch. My personal opinion, saw guy's not a good one. No, I don't like him either, but you know. I mean, even the perk, like the perkids in general, perch would be a lot better one. Perkids are the family that perch, walleye, saw guy, and even littler fish like darters belong to. Uh, but when you, the average fisherman that buys his license in Ohio, that license goes to the money that are, to the fish that are produced and the DNR officers pay and all this stuff. So these fish that are produced, saw guy or walleye to me is always seems like a bad one because the average angler is a bank angler. Yes. The majority of people. And how hard is it to catch saw guy and these stuff on a general day from the bank? And I know we can do it. Me and you can do well, it. Well, not just at Indian Lake, there's a huge population. Yeah. But it's a very, it's a very tactile sport. People spend a lot of time learning how to throw that jerk bait yep. and pull those paddle tails just in the right 45 minutes as the sun goes down because the light hits the cones of the eyes and da 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 da. A lot of ninety percent of all the saw guys are caught from bank, but ninety percent of the saw guys are caught by five percent of the little, people. A very small population. Yeah. So that that's already one strike against them for me is that that it's not for the ninety percent of people that pay for the you know for the saw guy. Yeah. Don't ever get to enjoy them. Yes. So we're spending all this time, money, and energy in producing them with the money that is given to us by the license holder. Yes. That just that right there seems like a fault to me. And, I mean, people want subsistence fish, so yeah. they get a decent amount of meat. It's not a perch, obviously. You get yeah. them a little bit more meat than a perch. I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think it's um, I think it's a big economical pool just because of that. It it's puts meat on the table. Yeah. Um, and, like you said, it's, uh, it's probably the best fish to do, but for the wrong reasons. Yes. For the, for the fewest of people, not for the majority of people. I personally don't like them at all. I don't want to, I don't want to mess with stockies. I mean, like me and you was talking. If you yeah. go up to up north and you got the fly fishermen up there, they'll make fun of you if you take, you know, if all you do is chasing stalkers. So I personally don't like fishing for any hybrid. I think they should. I think we should stock, you know, natural over hybrid fish. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then yeah, there's so many other fish we could be working in, like working towards. But yeah, so stocking. Is, well, hold on. What is a saw guy? What okay, exactly yes, perfect. Is a Thank saw you. Guy? I'm glad you're on track because my brain hops everywhere. Especially oh, no when worries, talking man. I'll about keep this. you in line. So a saw guy is a hybrid, a man-made hybrid fish. But specifically, it is a male sauger from the Ohio River drainage and a female walleye from the Lake Erie drainage. So most of the time we get them out of the mommy. I was actually there. Uh, all saw guy are made at London Fish Hatchery. Okay. Uh, it's a state far. hatchery, yep, and I they they do public tours and stuff like that. Uh, you got to call; it's a really cool place to go see. It's one of our oldest ones that are still functioning in the state. Nice. So you can see, like, they still have some of the old old school stuff. Nice. Uh, like literally, the one is like a little, just a creek. It is a creek with a fence on both ends. Nice. That, yeah, yeah. I think I've I've seen that one. Yeah. So it's it's neat if you guys anybody listening hasn't been up and from Indian Lake, it's only what like maybe an hour. Not even. I used to do a job out there, so it took about forty-five minutes yeah. to get around that. So it's area. a fun. If you got kids, take them up for the day. Uh, Dave or Doctor, yeah, Doctor Sweet still runs it. 
Uh, you know, he's close to retiring now, but uh, I know they do kid stuff. Like, they do fish days and stuff yeah. like that. Just go. It's ODNR fun. ODNR is always awesome with kids and fishing yeah. and getting kids. Specifically fishing. him. He, he's really cool. He's an outreach guy. So, a saw guy is a sauger and a walleye. Yeah, a walleye but specifically, from a yeah, and a, a, female. a female. It doesn't work the other way around. Okay. It's just like uh, ligers and stuff. Or everybody's heard of mean mouth bass and like Guadalupe bass and stuff like that. Yep. That's just swipping, flipping the parents. Okay. Still the same, technically genetic hybrid. When you flip the parents, you get different versions of offspring. Yeah. Uh, when you do a fem- or male walleye and a female sauger, it doesn't work very good. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what you get with that. but It's just really low uh, hatch rates and stuff like that. They're not as successful. Now, now here's the other question. They they stock a ton of these fish. Yeah. Like, I mean, what's we've heard, you know, millions of them, correct? Mm-hmm. What's what's the expectant survival rate? So if they stock fry, I mean, I would. Uh, we were talking off air. You know, fry naturally fry survival rates are really low. Yes. Uh, so if it's one to two percent, I could believe that. But you know, I think it'd be a little. It can be higher. Yeah. Uh, fingerlings, they should have a pretty decent survival rate. There's not a lot of fish that can eat a three to four inch saw guy. Yeah. Uh, or a walleye or anything, you know, three to four inches. That's a decent. You've got yeah. over most of the mouths yep. that you're going to be passing in front of. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so stocking, you know, millions and millions and millions of them, I, I, I would think they'd have a pretty decent survivability rate. Yeah. Well, you know, the the average the idea that gets passed down that I understand, they expect less than ten percent survive, even at fingerlings. Oh, no, I wouldn't. Personally, I wouldn't think that with fingerlings. Okay. Uh, I would think it'd be much higher with fingerlings. That's the whole point, because you do them an extra year. Yeah. Uh, so if it was still that low, there would be no point in doing it. Very true. Because uh, you're putting a whole extra year into production for one age class. So if it's still only 10%, then stock the fry. Yeah. There's no point. You could do it six, four, you know, you could do it four times a year instead of do it, messing with it once. You right, know. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Well, no, the other things I've always, the other thing I've always heard is saw guy only lived to three or seven years max. So I don't personally believe that. Uh, we've caught some very large ones. Electro, I did electro surveys. If you guys, uh, I'm trying to remember. I'm on a TV show, actually, on the front of a boat. Now I can't remember the name of the TV show. Uh, it was in Illinois. We were in Chicago, and there's a chunky kid in waders with big curly hair. And it's me. That's you. Yeah. So I did that stuff. No, we've caught very, very large saw guy. And I mean, we would do uh, age. So what you do with age, uh, otoliths, which are the ear bones. You measure the rings. Yeah. That's the, the easiest way we got to kill the fish to get it. Yes. The, the humane way to do it is take 10 to 12 scales and do the average amount of rings on the scale. Okay. Because scales do regrow. They will regrow to normal sizes, but you can see when they're under the microscope. Yeah. Like, they they look funky. They don't look like a tree. Like, uh, so when you do the normal ones, they look like a tree. Nice. And you count this, just like count the rings like a tree. Uh, you know, it's because it's seasonal growth periods. Especially, it's a lot easier in northern climates than southern climates. Because the harsher winters mm-hmm. make a harder ring. Yep. So it's easier to see. Yep. Uh, so you believe Sogai live longer than... Walleye. Than I know the- for a fact Walleye can live to be in their 20s. And I know Sogar can live to be in their teens. So I would imagine... That they live to be in their teens because we've caught we never did age surveys on them, but if following their growth chart and stuff like that, I bet you we've caught ones that are twelve to fifteen years old. Nice, nice. Now here's the other thing they also always tell us, you know, saw guy are pretty sterile. Now that is one that is a hundred percent fake. Okay, so saw guy are not sterile. They're ninety eight percent fertile. Okay, they're ninety eight percent fertile. So why don't they breed? Okay, so well first I. Do you want me to say why the state? That's up to you. If you'd like to get into it, that's I won't say which state sued Ohio, but... There's a reason why this fib, this misinformation is out there. At first, I guess it wasn't a fib. They did do a a slanted study. And that's the thing with studies. You you can can really slant the data. You can... And that's the thing I want everybody to understand, because I get in a little discussion with this. People are like, well, bring in the scientists to see what the study says. If I pay you enough, I can make a study say anything I want. So for for that note... When we go against oil companies, mm-hmm. we would get data from the same exact site they would do at the exact same time as us. Yep. They, their biologists they'd hire, and from the paperwork, they weren't the same site whatsoever. Yeah, the one you might as well have been in the Amazon and so had data you know, isn't hundreds always... of thousands of pounds of fish, and yeah. ours was like everything's got tumors and organs are hanging out of it. So data is pretty much based on skewed what... heavily. Exactly, it's skewed you can set the parameters. That. 
to really isolate what you want to show. Yep. And that's what happened with this first. So something happened. Somebody so, sued Ohio. Yeah. So what happens is once again the sauger, the mm-hmm. the male parent is from the Ohio River drainage. The walleye is from Lake Erie drainage. Uh, most of them come from the Maumee. Every time when I, we were there helping make them, every egg came from the Maumee. Because we normally got enough where we didn't have to go looking for anywhere else. And they run up the Maumee like crazy. Yeah, and then, so, uh, so they also ask. Like, I don't know if anybody's ever asked get asked for their egg, eggs at the Maumee. But the, that's what we did uh, for the DNR. Well, I wasn't with the DNR. I was with something else, but we were there with the DNR. And the the company you, you worked, worked for, for was with the hire, DNR. The ODNR yeah. hires them to yes. help out with manpower yes, correct basically. doing this stuff. So we'd wear the jacket, but we weren't employed by them. Your check was coming from a yes. private. 100%. Yep. But we just asked for the eggs, like from fishermen. Mm-hmm. They had a female full of eggs. That's where Open all the eggs came from. Open up a baggie and just squirt it in? Mm-hmm. Well, no. So we had the milt from the males there. Okay. And we'd mix it in, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen like a gold pan. Yeah. So it's very similar to that. Okay. And we use goose feathers and you mix it all up together. Yep. We use goose feathers, the natural oils, keep the eggs from coagulating. So you can get, I'll make sure all the eggs get fertilized. Nice. Uh, because we'd have to, the eggs don't last long outside the female without being fertile. Yep. Uh, they can last a really long, they, they handle really good after they're fertilized. So that you can transport them anyways. But. So the Ohio River walleye population is 100% genetically different from the Lake Erie uh, to the point where it's been argued over the last couple of decades, whether they're their own species or right now they're just designated as a subspecies. But there's some genetic variants. To, there's a lot of people that are arguing for that designation as its own species. I don't understand why anybody would argue. I mean, a human being from... Illinois is different than a human being. The reason from they argue is they get the fish they gets more rights. Okay. So that's where it really falls down to. Do they get participation trophies yet? Yes. All right. But Moving no, they on. get more. They get more protection. Yes. Uh, from the financial branch and stuff like that. Yep. Uh, so this other state, the borders on the Ohio River, didn't want these fish coming into the Ohio River. At first, the DNR was like, "Okay, we're not going to stock anywhere they get in the Ohio River." They do. I mean, Elm Creek yep. goes to the Ohio River. Yes, they do. Uh, so then they, you know, proceeded to either. Uh, now, now I can't remember for a hundred percent if they actually sued or they were threatening to sue. Like they were gearing up to do it, and then this study came out saying no, they're ninety-eight percent fertile or sterile. So there's no they need to worry. And Even if that? they get into the Ohio River, you know, they're not going to do nothing. Yeah, and that's the the study you were telling me that was very skewed one way. Yes, and then the same biologist came back like a couple years later with the real data. Said no, they're ninety eight percent fertile. Oh, so they they can mate then. Yes, yeah, so they're they're they they breed every year. I don't know why anybody. But and, why then? If they breed every year, why do we need to keep stocking them? Lack of habitat. The places we put these things, there's no good spawning habitat for them. Uh, like for example, Indian Lake. Mm-hmm. The siltation in Indian Lake, even if they could get to rock beds, and I've caught them in the branches of the the west branch, east branch of the GMR above Indian. Yep. On rock on rock beds, looking for minnows. Okay. And it's just, there's too much silt. Now, so the eggs are going to die. Could a saw, now, would a saw guy have to breed with another saw guy? Or yes. would a saw guy so, breed yeah. with a walleye? So, saw guy, sauger, and, and walleye are highly temperature sensitive spawners. And I believe in, I'm dyslexic, so let me see if I get the numbers right. Walleye are 43.2 degrees. Okay. Sauger are 39.1. Okay. And then I think like saw guy split right down the middle, like, 40.5, something like that. Water does not change temperature fast. Correct. It holds its temperature. It takes like a lot of extra energy to change temperature of water, yes. even from surface influence. So the saw guy were never made in the wild. Even though saw gur and saw and walleye spawn in the same spots, you know, in the same rivers and the same lakes and stuff like that. They never make them naturally because they're weeks apart. They Literally, spawn at totally different yeah. temperatures, totally different time frames. So they got Wally in the, of recording this. They have Wally in the Maumee right now, getting geared up. Yep. They're already. They had to go probably a month ago, and get the Saugers. Yeah. From Ohio, and they're just being kept at Loudon. Okay. Logan, not Logan. London. London. I'll sell every L name in Ohio before I get there. Yeah. Well, that's what happens. There's a lot of hatcheries here in Ohio. So hold on. So wait. So Saugai are very fertile. Yes. They can reproduce. Yes. Um, they also live longer than what's kind of generally thought. Yeah, they definitely live longer than three to seven years. And their survival rate is generally thought to be higher than what we hear? 
I would I would believe so. And then we talked about kind of survey methods, well, and that, that may be lead like to some the, data. Maybe the a lot of data is kind of kind of just skewed. Does the state often hire third party companies to come out and do stuff like that? So we didn't do much work for the DNR. We did a lot for Ohio EPA, okay. which does do a lot of our fish surveys in Ohio. So like District Five, which is where we live, uh, like and. Just gill netting and stuff like that. We could talk about that here in a minute, but well, yeah, because we're going to go on to the the stocking aspect. Next. Yeah, because it's it's a very or poor survey surveying. method. Yeah, surveying. Aspect. Almost every big biological entity for surveying has gotten rid of gill nets unless they're specifically targeting certain species and certain age classes. Okay, because gill nets are very exclusive. Well, well, yeah, and they also will catch absolutely everything. But they has to be of a, a size, size of a size, a certain size. So, like, if you're trying to get musky in Pennsylvania, which we watched another company do, they're using a walleye gill net. They never got a musky, so that survey says there's no musky in there. We shocked the same site and got ten of them. Ah, so you that's very skewed. Uh, yeah. For our county, oh, at least my county, Hardin. A couple, uh, let's say, ten years ago, there's this little tiny, tiny fish. It's one of the smallest vertebrates in North America. It was called a least darter. Okay. They're like, you know, they're maybe a and big darters ones. Darters are beautiful fish. Gorgeous. Got all, and there are a lot of them are protective and on the mm-hmm. edge. And they're they're very fragile because the only place I've ever found darters is just pristine cold water. Depending creeks. on the species. Because yeah. Hog Creek here, which is a nasty creek, has green sides and rainbows, which are gorgeous. Really? And they're living in poop water. Oh. But so, like most species of darters are, you know, good signs of sensitivity and stuff yeah. like that. But darters are gorgeous. But these little tiny guys... The Ohio State believed they were well. They were listed as uh, critically endangered. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find them, so they only live one year. So they pretty much live long enough to spawn. So when they spawn in the spring, they all die. Yep. So when the surveying happens from May, what was it May sixteenth to October sixteenth in Ohio? So and there's reasons for that we can get into if you want. And it's very important why we only survey in these months. There's just tiny, tiny larvae. Yeah, of these guys during these those months, so that we didn't know they they pretty much didn't exist, but like ten years ago, a state biologist went out and surveyed in November, and found that every creek in Northwest Ohio has plenty of them. Hmm. Not endangered. Not endangered. Just doing the wrong survey method at the wrong time. So and a lot of states fall to that. You know, it's yeah. just it's it's bad old school knowledge oh gosh the most dangerous especially in fisheries and this is not just for the, that's not just for the dnr that's all kinds of epa all these all these companies that would that's just not how we used to that's just not how we do it you know yeah that's the death sentence for fish surveying so what are the types of fish surveying so let's just say you were going to come to indian lake and you wanted to do a surveying because the whole reason we're kind of talking about this is there's the rumor the indian lake saw guy stocking is zero percent survival rate uh, I and mean, I mean, I can't attest to that. I can say the amount of cigar-sized eight-inch saw guys that I catch is lower. I don't think it's a zero percent. I don't think it's zero, but I sure it could be it lower. Could be but very low. Uh, we caught some this past year on the. We went out in a boat. We caught a bunch of you know a uh, year and a half olds. Yeah, they're, they're, they're there. But anyway, so yeah. So when you target the these nocturnal, so saw guy, walleye, and sauger are nocturnal predators mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll eat during the day. You know, we catch them during the day off from the bank and stuff like that. They're never going to pass up an easy meal. No. Their majority feeding, feeding takes place at night. The way their eyes are designed and stuff like that, they're nocturnal feeders. So what happens is when we were to survey for nocturnal feeding predators, uh, the only time they're close enough to shock on the surface is at night. So you have to survey at night. The DNR does not, and I don't blame them, they do not like surveying at night because it's a lot more dangerous. Keep in mind, we're putting in, uh, sometimes 16 to 20 amps yeah. into the water around us. Everybody at home, takes two to kill you. I've been hit with 16. It's not good. Well, and I will say this. We did see them out at night. So that's a night. Yeah. Year. So that's an Shocking. appropriate. That's what you do when you're looking for them. And that might. Are you sure it was the DNR? It was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was DNR because when I was walking away, one of them said, oh, yeah, it's Tosh. Okay. <laughs> and I think, there, I, no, I think our, that was. My old company surveys Indian Lake. Okay. There's three guys on the boat and it's. I, I'm pretty sure I knew who one of them okay. was. I don't just making sure. Now, you don't have to. I just. Making sure because there's other companies or a lot of entities that are surveying these same sites in Ohio. Well, it could have been a company. Not I got ten thousand people. It could have been anybody yeah. that knew me. To be honest with you, but, I assume uh, it was the DNR. Okay, because uh, yeah, we uh, I never personally surveyed Indian Lake, but our company did. Okay, uh, it happened fairly often, and it was for I can't even remember shore erosion, 
impact survey. But and they what, have a, what three, what not to cut you off, but what methods? So shocking is the main one that uh, is gets you the most accurate of pelagic species. So these are open water species. These are species that don't generally hang around cover or they don't need to hang around cover to feel comfortable. Okay. You know, you don't really find sunfish a lot in the water column in the middle of a lake. No. Uh, Indian Lake's a little special because most of it's six foot deep. But, you know, when we look up north or down south, you know, when we're 40 foot of water, it's yeah, very rare to find a sunfish. You find them always undercover. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so these pelagic species, the surveying, you can gill net. Uh, but once again, like we said, gill nets are very selective on their size range and species. Okay. And gill nets, to me, are so primitive because they kill everything that's in them. Yes. People I've seen, and this is not for the Ohio DNR specifically, but I've seen other biological entities say that they have a lot higher survival rate than they do. Uh, when we were in Pennsylvania for a survey, we had to run gill nets, and we had to do one in Arkansas. Everything died. Well, how long do you leave a gill net down? You can you cannot leave it more than 12 hours. And 12 hours is long enough because fish need to move to breathe. Yeah, it depends on the species, definitely. Most of, well, most of them, or yeah. they need to have water moving over yeah. them. You stick, a, any, you stick it, you're trapping it by its gills with a piece of thread. Yeah. And now it can't move. And, then and it, it's freaking even out. Even if it's not. So a lot of the fish we got in them are actually not on the gills. They're in the heaviest section of the body. Yeah, because they keep pushing them. But pushing then it pulls pushing. that slime coat off. Yep. It rubs. It just, it's a bad surveying method. And people, companies and biological entities are using it less and less and less. Yep. Because it's just, we know it's bad. It's cheap. Mm-hmm. It's very cheap to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, electroshocking surveys are probably the most expensive depending on who you get them to do them. Um, and what you want now, you know, what knowledge you want. So if you're only wanting predator prey relations and not IDing every minnow you get, yeah, you know, that's a lot cheaper. Yeah. Cause we would literally spend on a site, some sites we'd spend six or seven hours, 150 yards, IDing buckets of fish that are smaller than your pinky. No fun. And there's 70 something species of fish in that, you know, that could be in that bucket. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then there's other, like the other alternative methods, hoop nets, yep. uh, fike nets, uh, so pretty much if you can net it, it can be a, a means of yeah, surveying. Nobody, I don't know of anybody in Ohio that uses fike nets and gill nets anymore, or not fike nets and hoop nets anymore for surveying purposes. I think they used hoop nets on Indian in 2018 for catfish. Yeah, At probably. They're, they're an effective they're, catfish. That's what they were presented. So. They're an effective catfish mean, but not many entities are really checking for catfish anymore. No. When we were in Arkansas, we used them for bullhead surveys and stuff like that. Uh, but... It's it's just. So is there any survey method that is actually, I mean, unless we drain the lake and count the <laughs> fish, right? That's yeah. the only real way. But is there any survey method that you could say that, I wouldn't say be foolproof, but would not be susceptible to flaws? I mean, the the best survey is if you have, so if you, if you see somebody shocking a, a site, there's a lot of rules. Okay. There's a lot of training that goes into doing this. It's not just driving in a straight line, and I've seen them do it a lot. Not, I'm not saying anybody individually. Yeah, but I've seen a lot of people just drive a straight line. You will catch nothing. It is the worst way to survey. So, everybody at home, when you when you survey these sites, you have to be within 30 yards of the bank, and you have to be. It's like 150 to 500 yards, depending on what you want to get. Most, let's say it's 500 yards. You've got to go fast, go in. And then you pick a piece of structure, and then, like, let's say it's boat docks yep. or whatever. You pull out right at the last second. The fish are, so they feel that bubble yep. before they get actually shocked. And they don't get knocked out like we do. They get pulled towards the positive. The fish never stop swimming. Uh, so that's kind of the misconception is they all come floating. Mm-hmm. They do not. If you have that happen, you're, you're killing them. Uh, they should just be swimming at the positive. So right before you hit this structure, you pull out, the fish all bolt that structure and you pull back in and come flying in and you force them into the bubble okay. and then they pull up. And that's like, we've done those survey sites and got completely different numbers than other organizations at the same site in the same couple weeks because of just how you survey a site, how you're supposed to. And some organizations are a lot lazier than others with doing it. So just a matter of how you drive the boat could make it heavily influence it. So in reality, I mean, surveying is very, it's susceptible in it itself. relies heavily on the crew you got. Okay. And All that's right. not against anybody in particular. It's just really no, I mean, we're just here to, I'm just here to try to understand it because like I said, the, the question is, and saw guy fishing is huge, huge yeah. Indian Lake. 
and there is concerns. And rather than to address, hey, could this, is this, we're not going here to argue, is it possible? Let's just ask somebody who knows how it's done. And then we can obviously grab what we want out of that that makes sense. And you can make a very educated decision yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you see somebody shocking and they're just driving a straight line and not moving the boat at all, they're not catching anything. They're catching gizzard shit. <laughs> I'm not joking. That's literally what you're catching. Because they feel, so let's say the boat, the front of the boat puts out about a 30-foot beam of electricity in the water. The only 15-foot in our circle is actually shocking them hard enough to catch. Okay. So that other 15, that other, you know, seven and a half foot on each side is strong enough for them to feel and they'll get out of the way. Nice. So if you're not maneuvering and moving quick and stuff like that, you're not catching fish. You have to do these actions to force them into the bubble. So if they're just putting around the islands per se and you're going to get little panfish six, seven inches off the seawall yeah you're gonna get little panfish you're gonna get gizzard shad you're gonna get things that don't take off okay you know, and gizzard, salt guy are very sketchy fish yeah yeah crappie literally i've watched in crystal clear water uh, doing surveys to michigan watch this giant school of crappie stay right on the front of our beam as we were going by they wow. would not go inside because yeah. they could feel that edge and they would just keep going yep keep moving and then so you. if you're not doing these active you know Active surveys. You, there's videos of us in the lower GMR in Dayton, and we look like we're crazy. The boat zigzagging, zooming around, doing these big circles. That's what uh, we're. But we're getting state endangered. We're getting you know, we're getting river red horse. You know, the size of a small kid. Yeah. Again, uh, which are hard to get because they are not. They're not slow fish. And, and well, I know I've heard you mention on other podcasts. Sometimes surveys, they only want a certain answer. Now that's more. Yeah, that does happen. So that's whoever. So that specific one, I won't name the companies, uh, but we were employed by this uh, kind of coalition. One side of it wanted these dams out, said they were hev heavily destructive. They were, you know, in the dams are, uh, but they're heavily destructive. They're slowing down. And then the specific target of it was in American Eels. Okay. This state we were in, they're endangered for because um, they can't get back. Yeah, they can't they can't climb dams. Yeah. I mean they they can a little bit, but not this not these ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh and then the other side of it, they obviously will keep mine uh playing devil's advocate for them. This is their jobs. Yep. So if the dams get pulled, they don't got a job anymore. Yep. Uh so they were like, "No, there's no eels here." So sometimes surveys are heavily influenced so the, by the yeah. economy. So yeah, they have yeah, oh yeah. Uh, and the so money they made, that will keep coming. The the surveying criteria were running gill nets and doing uh, shocking surveys during the day. And at night, we were only allowed to do flashlight surveys. And you are not going to catch a eel. No. With, so it was yeah. purposely designed. And that's, yeah, it happens. So, we're, I mean, then we're also not saying that that's what the ODNR no, does. No, no, that was all private. It's that just, was two it's, private companies It's always having something, a fight. you know, when you, when you talk about these surveys, people see the data, they have to understand there's the other side of that paper yeah. that you don't see, and the reality of it is. So, being saw guys, and we talked about the stocking of them, and they stock, how do they stock them? Do they just dump them in the lake? So, yeah, if you, uh, you I'm trying to remember what year it was. I don't know if it was on your Facebook page or not. I think it was on all of them for, but yeah. But with the bags, with the bag, yeah, the just, bag up I mean, to the light, yeah. And, and they literally sit it in the water for the fry. Yep. Let it temper and stuff like that. The uh, the fingerlings, they just shoot in with a big tube. Yep. On a truck, I mean, because uh, they already have the temperature readings. The state does. Uh, they use the uh, USGS temperature gauges, and you can tell. Uh, what the temperature is, so they already have. They make sure the water's already same temp when they get there, so they can just dump them in. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that's another thing. I don't know. You ever use the USGS stream gauge system? I know just a little bit about that system to be um, questionable as why the monitor on our new spillway has been off since July or January. No, July of twenty twenty one. Hmm. They turned somebody turned off. You know how almost all spillways have a monitor for the mm -hmm. USGS? Go look up Indian Lakes. I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah, because it's a website. You know, you can get. Yeah, go, it's yeah, we been off. Them. We used them to Since determine if we can survey. Yep. Oh, and then there's other there's other things like you gotta watch. So that we did Seki Des or Seki, Seki Des. Yeah. Yes, I learned all about this this summer. Okay. Um, the the how clear the water is. Yeah. So we had to have a minimum of three foot to, yep. to uh, test to do a fish survey. 
uh, on you know a summer day in Indian. Mm-hmm. You ain't getting three foot. I mean, you're not getting it. I know. And the way a Seki disc works, it's a black and white disc. Mm-hmm. It's just like the top of a five gallon bucket. You can really make one with a five gallon bucket. Yeah. Take the lid of a five gallon bucket, punch a hole in it, paint it black and white in quadrants, so that way you have like that quadrant look. Um, put a rope through it, and then mark your rope off. It's every six inches. Yeah, it's really ours. That had every inch. Okay, you mark but your we, rope off. We in needed increments, very yeah, and you drop it down to you can just barely see it, and let's just say that's eight inches, and then you pull it up to you can visually see it, mm-hmm. and then you take that and you plug it into this chart that I got on my phone somewhere, and so, that gives you a number. Uh, what we'd always look for is when you cannot see the line anymore between the white and the black. Yes. That's that's true Seki de- depth. It blurs. Yeah. And it's weird. People are like, how can you not see the line, line between white and black? Do it. And you can still see the bucket lid. Or we actually had an actual Seki disc, which was like weighted. Yep. So it would work on rivers and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, it, you, it works. It's freaky when you're like, how can white and black merge, you know? Yeah. No, that whole system of determining sterile, ster- not sterile, but sterile, sterile, mm-hmm. water to whatever the opposite is, water. Um, that is very interesting. We learned a lot about that this year in the group with uh, Aquadox. Oh, yeah. And the, whole, uh, yep. and the whole weeds issue. So, and no, and that's the kind of, you know, they were doing a survey on the weeds, and, you know, there's all there's all surveys being done, and saw guy is the biggest thing right now. So, with the my big concern that I haven't seen very much talk about is the DO in Indian Lake now with all the plant matter. So, everybody that may not know at home, Dissolve oxygen is lowest right before dawn. Uh, stuff like sunfish and catfish, they really don't care. They can handle such They'll de-low spikes. Leave. They just they can sit there. And yeah. catfish, I've seen them sitting like 0.01 and just sit there, and they'll almost go into stasis oh, yeah. until it kicks right up. So plants, some, if you don't know at home, plants respirate like we do at night. They take in oxygen. They don't produce it. Uh, so at night, plants are the biggest part of the biomass. So they're going to take all the oxygen. Most of the oxygen. So that would be my big concern, and I haven't seen many numbers, actual, actual numbers, on what the DO is getting to at like six a.m. And he, like, I can't like, there's not good data on it. No, no, no. Um, I can actually probably put you in contact with the guy who did those numbers last yeah. year, who got them. Um, there they did notice some. Um, um, and I'm going to use one of the big words I know, and I forget how to hmm. stratification. Yeah, that's that's the. Yeah. Big word of oxygen bottoming out. Yeah. We did notice some stratification going on. So what that is, like you're saying. And the fishermen called it by catfish baits, and it matched up with the data that Ed got. So like layers of a cake. Yep. That's what's happening is that this layer has lower O2 Mm -hmm. than this layer. But I want to know how the lake is doing it's been better. It is much better now. See, the problem that that, that was creating the stratification was because there were so many weeds and such a biomass, you couldn't produce a wave. You have 20-mile-per-hour winds, and it's still glass. Yeah, because we there's a bunch of stuff sitting on the surface. Exactly. But we haven't had that issue since, obviously, the we got, well, since the late summer, early fall, we'll call it. Um, and then our water has also been much more silted. And darker, so it's not as clear as it was this time last year, um, which I think that will have a big impact on the weeds. I don't think we'll have a giant bounce back. But here's another question. With the amount of weeds that were Indian Lake, were in Indian Lake, do you think they could have properly done any net surveying? No. So they would almost all have to do shock surveying. Yeah. And with that I many mean, weeds, shock surveying, you'd can. only be able to go certain places, right? So we used. It depends. It depends on really what what gear is available to you. Okay. You know the DNR is on a budget. Uh, they are, especially the, our districts. Yeah, I know. You know the state DNR up. You know up top has a lot nicer stuff than some of our districts. Yes. But uh, like we had airboats and we had rafts and stuff. They had shock like shock boats that were just all these other materials. There was nothing we didn't go in shock. How well would a shock survey work, though, in long a as giant weed? If you're paying attention, it, you can still get the same data. Okay. But if you're going by too quick and stuff like that, and you're not watching fish turn, yep. that's what it's called when a fish shows their side. They start swimming on their side when they're getting shocked. Okay. Uh, so that's But it's good for us because it makes us able to see them because mm-hmm. um, they have that, that cryptic coloring. So when you're looking down on them, you can't see them. When they turn over, you can see them. 
uh, if you're going just going too fast and stuff like that, you're not going to be able to see them. Nice. So I, my whole thought thought process, they were probably finding shelter in those weeds, you know, running they're, in the weeds to hide. Because if they're getting shocked, they don't really. It's weird. They get hijacked. They don't. They stop making choices. Yeah, yeah. So, no, that you told me. They but kind I get of they get chang- right I, they the get tangled in it. Yeah. So if you're not paying attention, you can lose a lot of stuff. Nice. But I think Indian Lake is going to be very different. Ooh, squeaky. In the next ten years, in a good, in, in my part, in my personal opinion, in a good way. Yes, I feel uh, in a good way also. Because the siltation is going to get better. Because yep. the negative uh, charge of the plants is going to start pulling the siltation out better. Yep. Uh, you know, zebra mussels suck, but there's nothing you can do about them. And, and in reality, everybody talks about you know how our lake was before muddy, nasty mud puddle. But we've soon learned that it was just a very algentaceous lake, and the algae was all living at the bottom, the muck of the lake. Yeah, and just the scum silt was keeping it down. Whereas now we're we have weeds, but a very healthy body of water does consist of roughly one third weeds, one third yeah. vegetation. So so we need to balance that yeah. and keep our one third vegetation. And then Indian Lake is a man made man. It is one of the only two natural lakes in Ohio, but the natural part is very tiny. Yeah, it's not man. It's natural. I wouldn't even know. It's reservoir. So, yeah, it is. So it's a man-made lake. And man-made lakes, all re- even though it is partially natural. Five lakes were natural to make one Indian lake. Yeah. And then we put in a reservoir. So, and then the original, the actual lake, Lake Indian Lake, was still a pond by today's standards. Uh, yes. By today's Just a few standards. Acres. Yeah, because uh, so anything, it depends on who you look at, federal EPA, or if you look at U.S. Fish and Wildlife's definitions. But if more than 50% of the bottom's covered in weeds, it's a, it's a pond. Oh. And then federal Fish and Wildlife has it by acreage. Okay. So it just depends on who you. So it's all a numbers game. Yeah. Indian Lake's a pond. Indian Lake's a pond. Uh, but yeah, it's. I think it's going to be pan fish heaven. Yes. I think we're going to have state record panfish because we were literally out in the ski zone this year watching uh, pumpkin seeds breeding. Mm-hmm. And I just. Well, we've had an influx in those pumpkin seeds. Are they kind of like um, the green spotted sunfish or green sunfish also? So, so the green, uh, green sunfish are, they, they thrive on habitat, habitats that are in transition. Yes. Uh, so pumpkin seeds are a shallow, weedy vegetation, northern lake. Uh, sunfish they just it's just better habitat for them okay they've always been in indian lake but when you when you left when you leave the channels you stop catching pumpkin seeds you pretty much only catch bluegill yes uh because that's you know now they're everywhere it's because, much more plushier yeah, for them yeah it's easier like when you go north you really stop the further north you go the less bluegill you catch uh and it's just all pumpkin seeds nice so where we are at in ohio is the line split between pumpkin seeds and red ears they are the northern and southern version of each other. Mm-hmm. So, like some lakes in Ohio have red ears, some lakes have pumpkin seeds. But yeah, it's just it's better habitat for pumpkin seeds. Bass, crappie. I mean, you I think it's going to be a good habitat for saw guys. No, pelagic open water fish. It's gonna they're going to start losing the competition of hunting because they they're the way it's called a bleh, words a roving body plan. For a pelagic fish. Okay. So those big words just mean they're torpedo-shaped to catch prey, ambush prey, and open water. They do not turn very quickly comparative to other fish. So when they're hunting in these open zones to catch gizzard shad and all these other minnows and stuff like that, they do extremely well. Okay. They key in and lock. Now when the weeds start getting in the way and stuff like that, they start losing the game because the minnow can now turn oh. and hide. So... They don't do good in that. They don't have great smell. Their lateral line uh, is more built for their protection, not for hunting. But then your species like crappie, largemouth bass, even white bass, yep. you know, they're bouncing back good. Yeah, white bass are crazy. You know why? Because well, the saw guy aren't kicking their butt anymore. Yeah. They actually got a foothold. They're actually eating. They can get food to turn into more babies. Yep. So in my opinion, for at least Indian Lake, stop stalking the saw guy. Yeah. Because it's just a losing battle for that aspect of it. The lake's not... Set up for them anymore. It's not set up for them anymore, and it's not going to be set up. No. We're not... You can't you, go you, back. You need a good current, and we don't have... We, we've killed it's, that. It's gone. So it's not It's not ideal for Saw Guy. No, and it's... Indian Lake was a panfish lake for a long time. 
And it's going to go back to it. Here's a little bit of a uh, history or whatnot that you mentioned. Um, what was the most stocked fish in oh, the so 50s? Oh, like, so like 48 to like 61 was bullheads. Ohio stocked them by the millions. And Indian Lake had one of quite a few. I oh, think. they were everywhere. Yeah, quite a few. I mean, they had a bullhead nursery or a, a hatchery right yep, so there the, where the helicopter thing is. Yep, we used to do it a lot differently. We're pretty much that little, they, we had smaller hatcheries everywhere. Yeah. Because then they would just produce fish for that place. Yep. Because uh, we didn't have we didn't have the the ease to transport them like we do now. So now it's easier to build one big place. You can just fly them and, in and drop them from a helicopter. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, so I think Indian Lake's going to be very different. Flatheads, I'm worried for them. Um, uh, the flatheads, I the do is my big thing. I'm worried about their it's called fecundity, yeah. so their egg survivability. Yes. So their egg survivability, they, their eggs need like 11% parts per million dissolved oxygen. And I think Indian Lake's getting down to like five and six. Yes, we're getting low. So that, what's going to happen is your big guys, your adults can survive it pretty fine. Mm-hmm. But the eggs, you may, I mean, we may just start losing that part of it. Yeah. And well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping since the, you know, the river that comes in under Moundwood, it's been getting deeper and deeper and mm-hmm. deeper. I'm hoping that's a better avenue for I, they them. They need to start putting structure in there. for them. Well, there's enough wooden structure around. Well, if you I'm want hoping. the if you want the whole lake's population to move up there. And then the other thing is it takes a lot of stress on them. Yeah. Do you know uh, I'm sure you know, but maybe people at home don't know. Flatheads are really good parents. Yes. Uh dad normally sits inside and fans the eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh when we start catching them and I I kind of go for and this is maybe where people start yelling at me. Closed breeding season on them. Uh, because th- when you pull them off their eggs, especially now, their right. eggs can die really quick, and then fish get in and eat them real fast. Yeah, I know. This is one of the things I battle with because the tournament we have, it's an annual tournament. It's been going on 27 years. It's right there in their spawn. Yeah. And I tell people it's the – I mean, I fish to them myself, but, yeah, you do not want to be pulling flatheads off beds. Especially the ones you want for a tournament because exactly. they're the ones that are they're making the, the most babies. They're going to be making the most babies. And, exactly. Yeah. And it's just my personal opinion. If you look at states that have really good fishing populations, really fun, uh, they have close spawns. Yeah. And that makes sense. You know, just don't fish for them for two months. I mean, or, Ohio is like the wild, wild west with their ODNR laws. It's bad. It really is. Like you go to any other states, it's bad. you have slot limits. You have only times you can catch this fish during this time of year. But you guess what? I extra... bring home a cooler of fish. Yeah. And then you also there's also extra money generated because you have to buy an extra ticket or an extra mm-hmm. part of your license if you want to go chase this fish so uh, i i use michigan for example because they have a lot of rules yes and it can be a little overwhelming but i'll say this for the dnr in michigan their officers they're on the ground people so i've never had a bad issue well most dnr officers they're not out to no. bust you they He's, would like to educate you yes and that's the one guy i was literally uh his name's josh he's in uh claire claire county michigan where our cabin is we just had the cabin for uh like a month I always sane for my minis. Like, I don't buy minis. I've sane them. Yeah. Uh, and I'm out here saning. And I, it's a creek, you know, 100 yards from our cabin. It's a public water. Me and but Nick are in waiters. He comes up. And he's like, are you guys saning for trout? And we're like, oh, no, sir. We're saning for minnows. We're going to go pike fishing. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, do you guys know it's open open day season, a trout season? No. And we're like, no. You know, we don't really, we don't fish for trout. You know, we're new to Michigan. You know, we're yeah. new to, he's like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, get your minnows, but just so you know, you know, this is a trout stream, and uh, if other guys come, they're going to be irritated at you. Yeah. Because you're standing where they're going to want to fish. But he's like, you guys finish up, and you do whatever. And then he left. We looked it up. Uh, that's a crime, punishable by jail, uh, kicking and wading and saning in a trout, a designated trout stream in Ooh. northern Michigan. And he was real sweet. We talked to him. He's the one that sat in our... Shanny watching other people because I told him what I did for a living after that, you yeah. know, visit and stuff like that. And he'd sit and watch people out of our shanty. Uh, but yeah, Michigan has slot limits. They have closed spawns. It's crazy. Like, so walleye, pike, and trout, the first day of March till the first day of May. Can't mess with them. Okay. And you can't fish for them. And for trout specifically, because they have a lot of natural trout. Yep. Uh, you can't even go in their, their what's called a designated can't trout go splashing, stream. splashing, kicking yeah. through their stream. What's designated as a trout stream. And they have like uh, 1,400 streams, rivers, and stuff, which sounds like a lot, but it's not when you look at there's 
hundreds of thousands of streams in Michigan. Yeah. But it's and then like you can't like you can't troll like you can't target those fish even if you're not keeping them. Yeah. And they're it's the fishing's great. Yeah. I, I mean the fishing is really good. I had to kick salmon out of a spot to go fish for salmon. You know, it's and it's because they have slot limits. Yeah. You know, it's because they have these things. The pike fishing's great. You know, if the lake starts getting bottlenecked, which is a, a common problem with sunfish and some other fish, uh, and that's why I hate when I hate largemouth bass for reasons. But uh, they cause <laughs> bottlenecking uh, in a population because people think they're apexes and they're not. No, well, they're not apex at all. But uh, but the largemouth bass population did boom also. Last oh, year. they're going to do great. Yeah, it's ideal habitat. Looks like we're in Florida. Yes, it is. Uh, now I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> oh, double slot limits. Yes. Double slot limits are great where you keep one over, one under, or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. And it still allows you to take your fish for the day, yep. but protect some of these bigger fish. Or Ohio, which I've seen the law be broken at lakes around us, having taken too big a catfish and too many of them. Yeah, most people don't realize that. You You're can, allowed one. One that, over 36 yeah. inches in the flathead, and I can't remember it's what It's flatheads it and blues are one over yes. 36. In channels, it's one over 30. Yes, 29. Or something like that. It's something. Yeah, I, we're not DNR specialists. Yeah, don't take. We're not Read lawyers. the book. Read the book for yourself. Ask but, your ODNR Yeah, questions. and I've seen people have just buckets of them. Mm-hmm. Another horrid hybrid. This one I hate. I hate. We do in Ohio. Are the channel blue cat hybrids? Oh God, yes. And I wanted to, I want since we're already on this kick. Well, th- I wanted to explain this to people. Isn't don't they didn't they make those more for the private pond owners? Yeah. Yeah. How, why? 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 Why do they were? Yeah, I can't remember. They came from down south, and they do occur sometimes naturally. It's very rare in like Louisiana and Arkansas, where but it's the Appaloosa blue, right? Yeah, that'll breed with the whatever. They're man-made, so it's okay. you're not. We're milting them, so that's that's uh, stripping yeah. semen and yeah. eggs out of them, uh, so they don't get a choice. Okay, uh, but no, why they pick blue cats? Because big female blue cats. It's a female blue and a male channel. Okay. They picked it because the female blue makes hundreds of thousands of eggs. Yeah, uh, especially when you get one that's 60, 70, 80, 100 pounds. Uh, the problem is, is they are actually sterile, and nobody talks about them being sterile. The opposite way. Yeah. And they still take uh, a den, and they still take a mate. Yep. They still go through they the- go through the motions. Yeah. And so that's, you're cutting, they're only are you releasing sterile animals, you're cutting the breeding population in half also. Or the area, too. They're, they are going to win. Mm-hmm. They're bigger, they're more aggressive, so they're going to kick out male channels, take their dens, and take their mates. No. But they're not producing anything out of that. These aren't, when they say they're, like, when they say they're stocking Shaughnessy with blues- they mean they're true blues. They're not talking about they're stocking them with it's, these hybrids, right? There is a cut. There's only two. I can't remember, and I'm not going to speak on it because I can't remember. But there's only a couple places in Ohio we actually stock blue cats. There's only like two. Yes, one of them is Hoover, and I think uh, they just added a Shaughnessy. That may be uh, that may be accurate then, but because it's most of the time we either stock straight channels, we stock hybrids. Okay. Always stock uh, stocking blues is very. Uh, I can only. What's the one? There's one in northeast Ohio too. Um, North where we Fork, got or not north? Where we get all of our the the breeders. Oh, it starts with an F. It's the other natural lake. I can't remember it off the top of my head. I can't either. Ohio's only got two, and I can't remember it. Not counting the Great, the freaking ocean above us. Oh, what I, I know. Me and Sasquatch want to go take a fishing. It's uh, only a nine point nine, lake, nine point nine motor. Lake, oh yeah. Right? Yeah, it's it's heavily protected because it's I still can't remember the name of the. Game. It's got like, several endangered and stuff like that. Yep, yep. Well, man, so that's a lot of information that just got dropped on saw guys and about you know all the hybrids and everything. And um, personally, wh- how would what would you think we should stock at Indian? S- stop making saw guys my personal but opinion. But what should we stock? I don't know. Uh, so, bullheads. Bullhead, I like eating them. And I like catching them. People complain about them. I, I don't get why. And that's kind of this whole thing. I hate the word trash fish. My favorite fish to catch, they're, they're fine to eat. They're really strong fights. They're both in. Uh-huh. And they may be making a comeback to Indian Lake. And they need to come back to Indian Lake because they're... And we could talk about apexes here in a minute because that's really important for a habitat. Yeah. Indian Lake doesn't have an apex. Uh, Ish. Flatheads, but... They... they they do eat everything under it, but they don't act like an apex in the food chain. 
They yeah. are a cleanup crew on a lot smaller yeah, stuff. They're exactly. not. They're not eating the middle group of the food no, they're chain. They're not actively hunting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the problem with them. Even though they can, they can't eat anything else in the lake. They're Don't lazy, get me wrong. Though. Yeah. Flat they're not. Are very they're not chasing fish. down a largemouth bass to eat. You know. No, not at unless all. Unless it's in front of them. Uh, but no, stuff like, I don't know why we stopped stocking crappie like we did. We were one of the best crappie states. Now we're not even listed. Yeah, I don't know much. I don't like crappie myself, but I think but it'd be better fish I like to crappie. stock that. Yeah, than... uh, but smallmouth bass. Yes. I mean, Ohio has great habitat, great places for smallmouth bass. Yes. Including Indian. Yes. Uh, and there's only a small, teeny tiny. I mean, if you caught I've a caught lo- one in my entire life. I was going to say, if you're one of the few that can say they caught a smallmouth bass on Indian, you you fished a lot of Indian. Yes. And I we caught were... one last year after fishing Indian for 20 years. Yeah. And I, it's on my Facebook, if anybody didn't believe me. You can go look at yeah. it. We did mine live in the group, yeah. so I'm like, nobody's going to believe They're me. there. They're Dude, there. We're going to go live. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so they got decimated a long time ago uh, just due to some habitat problems and chemical problems for Indian Lake. Yeah. Uh, so they can come back in great numbers. Mm-hmm. I love eating smallmouth. I don't know if anybody at home is eating them. I, I don't eat largemouth, and you don't eat any of them in the summer. No, you don't eat, eat any fish in the summer. But these these smallmouth are great. Heavy fight, great fish, and they could do very well. Uh, well, let's see. What else could do? I'm fine with bringing pike back. Yep. Pike are an apex. Pike will actively eat the middle of the food chain. So when I say apex predator, that is in an environmentalist term. That means it's a creature that's eating the middle of the food chain. Correct. So it's keeping flow through of nutrients. So what's bottlenecking causes, and this is largemouth bass. I, I, I love I love fish for largemouth bass. I'm fine with largemouth bass. It's just this little thing <laughs> is they are the number one cause of bottlenecking in habitats. Is they will cause everything under them to stunt if there's nobody above them. Okay. So they're very detrimental. And like farm ponds, you ever seen a farm yes. pond that gets stunted and stuff like yep. that? It's largemouth bass's fault. Yep. Pull them out. Don't pull the bluegill out. They need some of those guys out. There's too many. But so when you have these apexes, bowfin, pike, muskie, stuff like that, and they're actively cleaning out that middle column, you're still catching big bass and big crappie and, you know, these big predators. Yeah. But you still get big predators then. Yeah. You don't get six of these big, disgusting-looking largemouth bass. Well, muskie were natural. I mean, there's uh, there's muskies yeah. that were caught that are hanging, I think, in Atchison's that were caught at Indian. Yeah, pike. <laughs> I just don't understand. You know, we've lost muskies. We've lost walleye. So, the, yeah. The m- and now we're stocking sawgai, and it's really not, it's not a plush enough for sawgai. So, right now, I could see the DO being a problem for muskie, but I think pike, which were na- they are natural, they're in the yeah. GMR. They're, they would have been there for the last 1,500 years at least. Bring them back. They're fun to catch. I mean, literally, Michigan, that's what everybody loves. Like, I love targeting them. Yeah. And you control for them. You could still fill that same niche. Yep. You want to do a saw guy, and you get a lot bigger fish in three or four years. No, are they just as good eating? I love eating them. You get two You get two fillets off each side. Well, you get two fillets off every fish, don't you? Kind of. <laughs> I mean, not, that's kind of what I've always thought. No, two fillets off each side. Oh, off each side. Because oh, well, they have okay. a row of pin bones that support their body. Okay. So you cut the top loin out which is huge, and it looks like a catfish fillet, and you cut the bottom one out, okay. which looks more like a walleye fillet. So, I mean, they'll fill the same niche with the economy then. People yeah. could usually catch them and, oh, yeah. and table you catch them. them. More people can catch them. They're a lot easier They're to catch. They're a lot easier fish they to catch. They get bigger quicker. And they grow, yep, they go quicker. And it just sounds like it's an all-around yeah, that'd be a good better one. idea. And then naturally, they're going to spawn like crazy in there, too. Yes. And you wouldn't have to breed them so often. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have to introduce them, I guess, so often. And I think they'll probably bounce back anyways, because there was a, a fringe population in the area still. Yeah. And there's a fringe population of bowfin. I think the bowfin will be back in the next 10 years. Everybody, you don't know what a bowfin is, look it up. They're yeah. amazing. They're not snakeheads. No, not snakeheads at all. Very, very similar in looks, but if you know the difference, they're not they, nothing. It's one of the oldest fish in North America. We have a fossil of a bowfin with a baby Tyrannosaurus rex in its stomach. Yes, at uh, Utah, I heard that. In Ohio Hollywood. EPA, yeah. Ohio EPA has that as on as their little fossil exhibit thing. But yeah, that those are better options. Sunfish. I mean, Indian Lake was a sunfish lake. You know, it's it's designed. It, it's not very deep. So who in the heck came up with saw guy then? It just sounds like it was all around just yawn. Th- what can we do? Hey, I'm checking out in 10 minutes. Here, saw guy. Bye. <laughs> I think it just comes from, well, we talked about, you know, making hybrids. They are a lot more sturdy and stuff like that. They're easier. To, they're a lot easier on the hatchery to do. Uh, they're a lot tougher genetically. 
They don't die of sickness. Walleye can be very touchy. So like, this is all better for the people who are uh, making the making animals. It. This is not better for anybody that's going to be taking them. Anybody, yeah. I mean, it's it, it. And I think it was originally designed because we were doing so much walleye, and we needed, as far as the hatchery side of it, no, we needed a more feasible option, and that's how they made them. But where we started sticking them everywhere, isn't you know isn't isn't positive for the local fishermen, the people that are paying for the license. Because think. How many people in Indian Lake, if you surveyed right now, let's say there's 50,000 fishermen on annual that visit more than once. Yep. How many of those people go there to target, target saw guy? A good amount of them do during the fall and spring, but that's it. But um, what percent, if there's 50,000 of them, I'm going to say probably less than 5,000 people are targeting saw guy. So I'm going to say less than 10% are targeting. That would be hard for me to put in numbers. Because most people I, that go up there, that pay their license, targeting panfish, targeting catfish. Most times people with their kids. Or guy, they give up after two days. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of wannabe saw guy fishermen. Nothing against them. It is hard to, you know, They're a difficult. They're, they're a di- difficult yeah. fish. But yeah, I know a lot of guys who are like, oh, yeah, well, I but, can't catch any saw guy. I'm going to go chase something else. But most of these guys, like even people with kids, you know, the, the tourist industry at Indians, the big part for license sales Bluegills. Panfish. Perch. Perch. Crappie. Catfish. Catfish. You put a night crawler on a big hook, you will get a catfish in Indian if you sit there. Yeah. And we did have patient. an influx in pickerel, um, grass pickerel yeah. we had, you know, reported. So They're great. There's no there's no reason why pike couldn't make a comeback. If I had to make a guess, and this will be in the next probably five years, and it's just a guess, the DNR will stop stalking saw guy in Indian Lake. Let's hope. I, I'm I'm right there. I kind of because I think we're going towards a big fish kill with them. Yes. Uh, I'm waiting. It's going to be one day, and it's not. It's just because their genetic, their their physiology, that we're going to have a real do low do spike. Yep. And a drought on the heat of summer, so hot water already holds less oxygen. It's going to be a little muddier because it's summer. Yep. And then it's going to be maybe a low. Like we're already at a low kind of precipitation year already. Yes. So if it's this, maybe this summer, for all I know, and you're going to see a bunch of dead saw guy, and it's because they just can't handle that do spike, that do drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you. I really I, I think it's it's all around it. It's good for that five percent of guys that want to go out and yeah. catch six saw guy every night. But like we spoke, that's not the majority of the people going out. It's it's not going to do anybody a whole lot of good though. If what they're stocking isn't right for the lake, and with it, the lake changing so much, I just it just doesn't make sense to me. And we don't div- as a state, we don't diversify stocking very much. No, and we stock very few big bodies besides the rainbow trout. Now, when we stock these, you know, like when we were talking about, they just dump them into the lake yeah. and everything. You never know; you could have a school of bass right, right there. Up there, and boom, hit them definitely. And and that's our the thing. perch. They when you're stocking fry, they usually don't stock them in. Multiple places, it's maybe two or three places. Yeah, it's two or three. Yeah, and it's not broken up enough, I feel. Wherever the boat launches are. Exactly. And then in the same sense, saw guy, once they get to that 19, 20 inches, they will eat anything. Yeah. I mean, they love bluegills. They love shad. We find them in your belly. Yeah, I've got a bunch of little bluegill. They're massive eaters. They eat, they gorge, essentially. Yeah, so they're pelagic fish. Yes. So they don't have that turnoff motion like uh, like largemouth bass and stuff can be more sedentary. Channel catfish, flyhead catfish mm-hmm. can have a much more slow digestive system because they're living a much more sedentary lifestyle. Yep. Uh, saw guy have the whole Perkett family has a higher metabolism rate, so they're constantly gorging. Yeah. But I, the shad in Indian Lake too, I think they're going to struggle. So they, they are struggling. They interesting are struggling thing about shad in North America. They are the gizzard shad, mm-hmm. not thread fins. Not bullhead or bull shad. Are, the bill, are bull shad and gizzard shad the same? What are you calling a bull shad? The giant shad. That's the same species. That's okay. just the adult. Yes. That's what I thought. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. So, thread fins are in Ohio, but they're endangered. Okay. And you probably caught them and you never knew it because they look, one has a pointed nose and one has a round nose. Okay. So, if, unless you're really looking, you, you won't know. You won't know. Anyways, uh, they're the only fish in North America that is not limited by any other means besides food availability. So, like for predation, yeah, they will outcompete every predator. So they don't care. Hmm. They are detritus feeders. So that's like that foamy, that that little stuff you can't hardly see in the water. Yep. 
uh, they will fill their void with that. Yeah. So if they are, it's it's crazy. Uh, Ed Rankin's the one that was talking about that, and he's one of the OGs in fishery biology here in the U.S. Uh, but it's crazy that they just, I, I hate, you know, gizzard shad are great fish, but they're going to, so the, the water getting clear and stuff like that, that's also the lack of detritus that's in the water. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that they're eating. Yeah. So it's less and less. So they're just going to, their population is just going to drop. Yep. And if there's not the shad there, then that's obviously going to impact. It'll impact the flatheads. It'll impact all the other ones, but. There will be stuff that takes that back. And we were already seeing it this year. We were seeing schools of spot fin shiners come back to the open water. Nice. Uh, stuff like steel colors, silver jaws. Uh, yeah, we've seen a lot of golden shiners come back in, into places we hadn't caught them in a long, long yeah. time. And there's, like, and you'll be surprised at how many species of fish that people catch now. They, they call it just minnows and stuff yeah. like that. Orange spotted sunfish came back to Indian Lake and they haven't been there in a long time. Yeah. And they're the small, you know, they're maybe two inches long at max. Gorgeous little animals. Heck yeah. Well, man, this is the, where, where are we at now? This I been, don't know. It's feeling like an hour. We lost time. It, but this has been very. Hour five. Hour five. Wow. Well, this has been very educational. Yeah. It's great to do saw guys, surveying, and stocking. And uh, I appreciate all the information that you were able to drop on us. And, yep, and most of it's opinionated, but... It's all opinionated. Like yeah. I said, he's got the education. I just asked the questions, and uh, neither of us are getting paid by the ODNR, so... That, yeah. It's just opinions. Just opinions. But... I've been Justin. I've been Tosh. Tight lines. Solid hook sets. Bye, guys. Tight lines. And solid hook sets. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure to leave a five-star review. And please, share it to a friend that would enjoy, and leave a comment. 